Okay. Well, oh well. So he's pulling candidates from projects like the ranches um, and his research ship and all the different biome studies. He also decides that his ex-partner, mother of his child, Margaret Augustine, should be the CEO of the Biosphere Project. Okay. So Margaret's qualifications are that she managed an experimental theater and she is fiercely loyal to John. This is weird. You know, part of the problem is that nobody's ever tried to do this before, so yeah. I can't say that those would be bad qualifications. Right. But how could they know? Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. So in the weeks leading up to the beginning of the experiment, the team changes several times because John Allen hires and fires a number of people, awesome. and he also randomly reassigns the remaining to the project at the beginning. Right. So in the end, eight Biospherians are chosen, four men and four women. Okay. And with a lot of media fanfare, they're locked inside the Biosphere 2 on September 26, 1991. Okay. So from the very early stages, the media attention is really mixed. Right. The local paper's headline is, quote, Bon voyage! Eight Biospherians begin journey in greenhouse. And it describes the project as, quote, the latter-day Noah's Ark that's been praised by some as visionary and panned by others as pseudoscientific glitz. Okie doke. End quote. Yeah. <laughs> that's really like the overall flavor of the project. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the reporting from the time was, it was like half, isn't this amazing, and half, isn't this, you know, just a gigantic waste of... It's going to be really fun, so keep listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I wanted to read you a quote quote from a village voice article by mark cooper okay he for some reason really got to be in his bonnet about this project he went and interviewed a lot of people who had left the synergists okay and he came out with a portrayal that this was like a multiple sorry a multi-series of articles and the project does not come off well yeah i'm just going to read you uh, a quote from his first article okay so this is Mark Cooper writing for the Village Voice, quote, that the biosphere basks in all these camera-friendly theatrics is hardly an accident, because in all this gee whiz imagery of an ecologically balanced earth in a bottle, there's an ugly crack. Indeed, the group that built, conceived, and directs the biosphere project is not a group of high-tech researchers on the cutting edge of science, but a clique of recycled theater performers that evolved out of an authoritarian and decidedly non-scientific personality cult. Oof. So, yeah, he goes on to say, <laughs> the voice has uncovered how the core group of the Arizona project has little loyalty to either honest and open scientific in inquiry or to any ecological quest to save the earth. Instead, its only allegiance is pledged to one individual, John P. Allen, whose eerie doomsday dogma makes him much more the Jim Jones than the Johnny Appleseed of the ecology movement. Yikes. Now, I would not go that far. I wouldn't either. We've done a piece on Jim Jones, and this guy Jim is Jones not that is... bad. <laughs> no, this is, that's a different ballpark. That's exactly. the ballpark down the street where they're playing a totally different sport. Yes. This is not that. Because the Biosphere 2 is a for-profit project, and right. it's completely privately funded, it's also opaque in a lot of ways. Sure, sure. And there's no oversight except by John Allen. Okay. So it's, it's kind of seen as a stunt. 
And it really doesn't help that these are theater people living in the biosphere. Like they brought in yeah. costumes and they oh, perform no. plays and dramatic readings as part of their regular schedule. Oh no, what? Don't what? say oh no. What? Why? <laughs> that part actually sounds really fun. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think so because we're about to talk about this in a minute, but the group dynamics aren't great and doing any like dramatic performance with people that you actively dislike is not mm-hmm. good. So they actually saw it a different way. They decided that doing theater with people you don't like was like a safe way to air out your emotions and like get your issues on the table. Maybe like take a step back from the problem and see how it looks to others. Okay. There is a purpose behind the theater stuff, but it doesn't it doesn't do anything to make it look scientific. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Space Biosphere Ventures is also hoping to make lots of tourist money. Yeah. Yeah. The thing as is, this open is going on. To tourism. Which, which I don't think we neat. got into yet. But they encourage people to come and look at the buildings, right? Yep. You need a ticket to do that. Yeah. Uh, you can stare through the window and watch the Biosphere crew. Uh, they have yep. six gift shops, Greg. <laughs> if you don't find the t shirt that you like at gift shop number one, right. just keep going. I didn't know that it was this unscientific i had thought that this was like you know a, a thing funded by you know a consortium NASA. of universities or yeah. you know, a nasa offshoot or something not like literally a dude just got all the money a dude <laughs> paid for it like uh, i don't know it's sitting weird with me now and i i don't know how i feel about this all right it's gonna get it's gonna get a little weirder i'm I sorry know. i know uh the thing that really like makes me question how they were valuing the biospherians versus the tourist money yeah is that they parked so the biospherians are not starving through this experiment no. but they are very very hungry all the time yeah i we uh, and talk the about that. <laughs> margaret margaret augustino as the ceo of the project decides that they're not making enough money from the tourists just buying tickets and looking so she sets up a hot dog cart right outside <gasps> the glass wall oh, so you have hot dogs and torus on one side, and then, and then extremely hungry biospherians uh, on the other side of a glass wall. Yep. Yep. That's a little upsetting. <laughs> and they go through so many PR people, and I'm just like, one yeah. of you has to look at this and be like, perhaps we could <laughs> move the hot dog cart. It's a cart. It's not a restaurant. It's a cart. What if yep. we just wheel it over here? Wow. Okay, so all of that kind of like turns the biosphere two into an attraction. Right. And attractions are not generally seen as scientifically important. Like nobody's like Yeah. Yeah. Like nobody's panting over data. To, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I was thinking of like the world's largest ball of string. I mean what do you need to invent in order for this to be a viable idea? So John Allen and his friends have something in common aside from all these fun biosphere debates. Yeah. They live in a commune, and they call the commune the Center for Innovation. Yep. Uh, they refer to themselves as an international incubator for creativity and ecology. Okay. They are strongly counterculture, strongly anti-establishment. Right. They're also really into theater. Okay. So they have a charity arm, which is called the Institute of Ecotechnics. Uh-huh. That's a mixture of ecology and technology, in case you didn't get that. So they have a lot of projects that, some of which are still around today. Like they have an eco-friendly research vessel. They have a couple of ranches that practice sustainable agriculture. They have a lot of like theater, art. They have a gallery. They have a press. 
So they do lots and lots of like biome-based research and art projects, all of which is really cool. Okay. So people who work on institute projects tend to do lots and lots of work for very little pay. And that's who's going to design this thing, right. John P. Allen. And who's going to pay for it? Ed Bass is going to pay for it. Ed Bass is going to pay for it. Now, he is the heir to an oil fortune. He's from uh -huh. Texas. Yep. He becomes a synergist and a major funder of the Institute really early on in the late 70s. So kind of just as they're getting started, okay. Ed is there writing checks, which is wonderful for them. Sure. Ed has hundreds of millions of dollars, but he sees these Institute of Ecotechnics projects as an investment. Okay. Right. He knows that there's a limited amount of oil. Yeah. Someday he might have to budget. <laughs> When the Biosphere 2 idea becomes the next big project, he agrees to fund it to the tune of $30 million, right. which, spoiler alert, is, not is about a fifth of what it ends up costing. Yeah. And poor Ed does not make any profit off Biosphere no. 2. No. So after a lot of workshopping and uh, interpretive theater, John and Ed develop a completely new company. Right. And this Space is called Space Biosphere, Biosphere Ventures. Ventures. Oh, right. I feel like we should do an ad for it now. Oh, my God. Do you want to leave the planet? <laughs> <laughs> I do now. <laughs> so this company's only purpose is creating Biosphere 2. Right. So the plans are finalized, and in 1984, construction begins on a site in southern Arizona near the town of Oracle. Construction begins with a three-acre steel pan, and a little campus of connected structures is built on top of that. The intention is to include five biomes, and a biome is a set of plants and animals that can survive and thrive together in a climate-based community. Plus, for the humans, they have living quarters and an agricultural space. Before anything else comes in, engineers have to figure out how to make the structure completely airtight and energy efficient. And some of the solutions they come up with are brand new technology and really interesting, uh, including a giant rubber seal that maintains a constant air pressure uh -huh. and a new kind of silicon caulking between glass panes because most of the structure is glassed in to allow for lots of sunlight. And it's important to make it basically as oxygen proof as possible right they need yeah the whole point is yep. to create a self-sustaining system and if anything is coming in from the outside yep oxygen water whatever it's going to throw off all of Everything. the observations that yep. are made in so from the beginning their point is to create an absolutely sealed system right yeah and of course it has like a ton of control systems so the big ones are air handlers to circulate the air yep. and a scrubber system to maintain air purity Okay. Uh, they have hot and cold water. There's a compost facility. There are also backup generators because the biosphere is a wonderful object. It does not produce its own electricity. Right. It's actually on the grid. Yes. And as you can imagine, the power bill must have been enormous. So then there are also like tons of things to maintain the biome conditions. Like there's a wave machine for the ocean biome and cool. just like tons and tons of instruments to measure conditions throughout constantly so the temperature is monitored constantly humidity right uh the oxygen basically everything that goes on inside biosphere 2 there's a record for it and there's a little machine that's taking notes cool once the skin of the building is complete plants and animals start to arrive and they end up with 3,800 species in total and then they also decide to add eight humans 
Right. So because of their work around the world, the Institute of Ecotechnics has access to all kinds of plants, animals, and insects that will work in the biomes. Mm. And they also have access to a number of synergists who meet what John Allen thinks will be the requirements of living inside the biosphere for two years. Okay. So he's looking for a crew of eight with qualities like intelligence, resourcefulness, technical ability, and also, you'll like this one, everyone has to be a theater person. What? Because he honestly can't get enough of theater people. What? Why is that a prerequisite? <laughs> because John Allen is really into theater. He sees it as, he sees it as like, the language that holds everybody on earth together huh. he gets very philosophical about this and also he loves acting so one thing he's not looking for with his qualifications to become a biospherian yeah. is academic degrees so most oh. of the team he ends up with has some college a few have master's degrees but only one has a phd and most of the people with degrees have them in completely unrelated fields right uh someone comes in with a degree in philosophy you want to go ahead and read the thing all right here we go the question of what humans would need to bring with them to survive outside Earth's atmosphere is a provocative one. Everyone agrees oxygen is necessary, along with fresh water, shelter, and something to eat. Following these necessities, power and temperature control are also essential. And from there, proposals unfold like flowers coming into bloom. Why not some animals for a little protein? How about a saltwater bath for hygiene? Should we bring a change of clothes, shoes, a way to make alcohol? What about a beehive and a fruit orchard to provide sweets? A small library to battle boredom? How many companions should we bring along for the ride, and what kind of people should they be? In the late 1980s and early 1990s, a man named John Allen, along with several hundred scientists and engineers and several hundred million dollars, attempted to answer this question by building a perfect little mini-Earth in the Arizona desert and hermetically sealing eight volunteers inside for two years. The Biospherians, as the crew called themselves, wore Star Trek-style jumpsuits and gorgeous 80s hairdos, and they were prepared for hunger, equipment failure, cabin fever, and hard work. What they weren't prepared for was bad press, slashed funding, severe paranoia, intergroup tensions, and ultimately a hostile takeover by Steve Bannon. Yes, that Steve Bannon. On this episode of Relative Disasters, it's the story of Biosphere 2, an amazing idea gone disastrously wrong. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my brother and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events, and their context, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Ella, Professor of Biospherian Technology here at Relative Disasters University. And I'm her brother Greg, Terrarium Funding Procurement Officer here at the Relative Disasters Corporation. So this is a weird story. It's <laughs> totally bizarre. Um, we're going to take a deep dive into what makes it so weird and whether or not it's an actual disaster. Because, spoiler alert, nobody dies. Someone gets no. their finger chopped off, but nobody dies. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the experiment basically hinges on attempting to show that humans can survive and thrive in a completely sealed environment. And before we get into it, I just want to cite most of this information comes from two memoirs, which were written by the Biospherians on the original mission. Okay. 
Uh, I just want to cite them because I reference them pretty heavily. Okay. Those are the memoirs Pushing Our Limits, Insights for Biosphere 2 by Mark Nelson. Yep. And The Human Experiment, Two Years and 20 Minutes Inside Biosphere 2 by Jane Pointer. She's very well-spoken and she's very outspoken about it, so. Yes, and she definitely has mixed reviews. Yeah. Of her experience. Okay. So the Biosphere 2 was a project that was dreamed up by a man named John Allen. Yep. And it was funded by a man named Ed Bass. Yeah. And the idea that they had was to create a completely closed system that was big enough and complex enough to support life. Yep. Human life. Right. Uh, or like a little mini Earth, if you want to think about a different Earth. So Earth is Biosphere 1. Yep. And uh, this... This is Biosphere 2. Hypothetical at this point. Experiment is Biosphere 2. So they and a lot of other people, most famously Buckminster Fuller, yep. theorized that if you can include everything that supported human life on Earth, you could develop a self-sustaining model that potentially could be used to design space station and yep. like exoplanet colonies. Very cool stuff. Yeah. And, and incredibly necessary stuff if we ever do get out there and start colonizing. Right. We're going to know what to, we're going to need to know what to put in our suitcases in order to survive. Yep. And uh, just as we touched on in our intro, one of the problems about designing a sealed system is deciding what to include and also what to leave out. Right. So if the goal is human life support, obviously you need food to eat, uh, oxygen to breathe, water to drink, and a way to manage waste, yep. which is something that the International Space Station really struggles with. I was just reading. Yeah. Yeah. It's, poop. It's, it's a huge problem. It's hard to poop in space. Really hard. Yep. So here on Biosphere 1, the planet provides those things for us. Right. If you were to choose what you really need to take with you on like a smaller than Earth spaceship, you would be looking for things that support other things in a cycle that includes humans. Like maybe you want to bring a bean plant. Right. So the bean plants need dirt and water before they can produce beans that you can eat. After you eat them, you need to compost the dead plants and whatever your body can't use. We're back to the poop. Yep. And use that to grow more bean plants. So at every stage of the cycle, you will need support from things like sunshine, insects, oxygen, and so forth. And all those things have to be perfectly in balance or else your bean plants will not grow. Right. So a completely closed system will include not just bean seeds and dirt, but everything else. Right. So the idea for the Biosphere 2 was to create both a vessel that would hold a complete ecological system mm -hmm. and everything that would need to go into the system. So every single biological element. If you think right. of those gardens in a jar, yeah, you yeah, need yeah, to yeah. find not only the perfect jar, but the perfect garden to put inside it because not everything you put inside of a jar will grow. Right. Okay. The closed system. The advantage of this is that you can see in a closed system immediately what effect an element has on the rest of the system. Right. So if you introduce something or you take something away or something becomes larger or smaller than it's supposed to be, you can collect data on that and you know that there's no outside influence that's going to corrupt that data. Right. So potentially, like, Scientists get really excited about this, and yeah. the potential for research is really, really something that a lot of people are excited about. Yep. Uh, so part of the job of the biospherians, aside from keeping themselves alive and keeping the biosphere healthy, is to collect data and write reports. So they're not really investigating things, like right. we said before, like someone doing like university-supported grant-funded research projects. Right, right, right. But, but they're, they're also writing down what they see. 
Right, but they're doing more than that. They're doing a little bit of collating and a little bit of analysis. Like they're a okay. big step up from just like a technician. Right, right, right. Because they're right there. Like they have a lot of insight into the data that they're collecting. So John Allen decides to offer a group of scientists the chance to form an advisory committee. Okay. Uh, for him, oh. this is a way to establish yes. legitimacy. And for them, it's a chance to get a look at like the raw data and the inner workings of the biosphere. Okay. So win-win, right? Everyone's going to be happy and everything's going to be great. Yeah, no. So the eight biospherians realize right away that there are a number of problems with living in a completely sealed environment. Yes. First, they have an oxygen problem. Yeah, the oxygen problem is a big one. Seven tons of oxygen just vanish. Yeah, they're, they're losing oxygen at, it was like a 10% rate and they weren't sure why. The oxygen was at like a 20.9%. And then after after the first year was over, it was down to 14 and a half. Yep. So that's like being at 13,000 feet all the time. Oh, such a headache just thinking about oh, it. Oh, yeah. And people started, you know, not, not even, you know, not just being fatigued, but they started to have sleep apnea, which can, you know, be a big deal if anybody's got any heart issues or anything else right but also they're like working really hard all exactly day. they're 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 not gardening they're farming and that's a right there's a big difference and the other problem was that during the day plant photosynthesis is helping with carbon dioxide dynamics but at mm -hmm. night arizona was subject to el nino yep. like it very rarely happens two years in a row and they just lucked out yeah so they're already, like, not at maximum capacity. Plus, they're all turning orange. Can we talk about turning orange real quick? Oh, well, <laughs> let me tell you where the oxygen went first. Because oh, I was sorry. like, I was like, seven tons of oxygen is a lot. And this yeah. is a completely closed system. So what happened? So I dug a little bit further in. And eventually they realized, I think this is like in the second year. Yeah. They realized that the concrete is absorbing it. Yes. That's right. They just have to live with it because there's no way to get oxygen out of concrete. Back out of the concrete, exactly. I've tried. It's really hard. <laughs> okay, there's a process called carbonatation, which mm -hmm. is how calcium carbonate... ...disagreeing on is that half the group is okay with having more food brought in from the outside because it will improve their health and allow them to carry out like the more labor-intensive projects. Right. The other half, they're adamantly against unsealing the biosphere right. for any reason. Right. Or like changing any of the parameters that they set out with. Now, I have to tell you, the biosphere has an airlock yes. to minimize air exchange. And yep. they have already opened it. So yes. three weeks into the experiment, one of the biospherians loses a finger in the rice threshing machine. Pointer. And has to leave. Like yeah. she goes to the hospital and gets sewn up and then comes back. Yep. And and oh my God, did the... the the reporters on this made a meal out of this. They were like, oh, and she must have snuck in extra tools and supplies. And it's like, well, she came dude, back her, in with a bag. <laughs> got like mangled. Leave her alone. She brought diet was just like sucking up all the nutrients. Yeah. And then they turned orange. Yeah, they turned orange, and they also had tons of bugs in there. Yes, oh my god. This? Are we going to talk about the bugs? They were so careful to choose specific plants and insects that would, like, be in perfect <laughs> harmony with each other. And then they all but died. Been, 
they've also been locked in there with like the ants and the scorpions and cockroaches that came in while the site was under construction. Okay, so accidentally, basically what wound up happening was the entire insect population gets decimated by the fact that globally invasive tramp ant species, which was native to that area of Arizona, just got in there and like wiped out all the other ant species the cockroaches were happy as uh, but oh yeah the cockroaches they did great (laughs) big surprise all of the pollinating insects just died yep oh my god um and also like some of the plants they didn't realize came in with their own little pests like mites and aphids yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, it's just it's a lot of bugs and i i get a little itchy just thinking about it yep and, oh, also, like, since their environment is so contained, they can't just, like, do a bug bomb. Right. Right. So they have to kill all the scorpions by hand, and they have to, by hand, by foot, I hope, by or shoe, by boot. Hammer or something. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to say they can't find all the ants or roaches, and the ants in particular are so aggressive, they actually chew through the silicon caulking in the second year, which contributes to this infinitesimal leak that drives everyone crazy because they can't figure out where it's coming Jeez. from. Yeah. Cool. So psychologically, they are tired and hungry all the time. They all report bouts with depression and paranoia, and yep. nobody's getting enough sleep because yeah. the low oxygen, as you said, is giving them sleep apnea. So it's kind of not surprising that they eventually split into two factions. Uh, it's not even like eventual. It was before the first, like before the end of the first year. Oh, was it? Yeah. At least according to goodness, which, you know, honestly, that's important. (laughs) They talk about or in Jane Pointner's autobiography, she talks about being up on the roof when the oxygen is coming in. And like the instant it hits them, they all become extremely happy. Yeah. It's like they were high. She said they couldn't stop laughing and dancing and jumping around. (laughs) I mean, that's pure oxygen is good stuff, folks. It's great. Get yourself some. (laughs) So yeah, another huge problem is food. They lose their white potatoes to a bug almost as soon as they get inside. And for the rest of the two years they're there, they're eating all they can of their biggest producers, which are sweet potatoes and carrots. Yep. Which contain a lot of carotene, which if you eat (laughs) a lot of it, it will turn you orange. (laughs) They don't, they don't like turn cartoon orange, but your skin gets like a tint to it. It's, it's weird. Right. And their diet, like this is worth going into the diet that they had to maintain. Mm -hmm. They had crops of bananas, sweet potatoes, beets, peanuts, cowpea beans, rice, wheat, lab lab, papayas, and you know, carrots. And, a smorgasbord. And the thing is, is that their methods of growing these crops in the enclosed environment, they produced five times as much as the most efficient agrarian communities of Indonesia, southern China, and Bangladesh. Like that, Right. They were able to farm stuff faster and better than some of the best farming areas in the world. Now, that's offset by lots of other things that went wrong but they were growing a lot of their crops and so the guy who does eye drops okay where they get like machine parts just different things that they need to change out the equipment okay and someone sneaks them like (laughs) m&ms someone else siphons figures out a siphon and and like is able to siphon beer in there (laughs) it's just like it's really small time and it's not 
She makes it sound like it's not ever anything that's like going to change anything about the experiment. But uh, half the group is eating M&Ms and the other half is really pissed that those guys are eating M&Ms. Oh, they also like bring in a box of clams at one point. And they're like, oh, they're for the ocean biome. They're going to live in the ocean biome and they just eat them. So you can see why people are a little bit like, you know, is this really a science experiment? And keep in mind as well, these are very oxygen deprived people and they're hungry. Right. So cut them a little slack. And uh, they're hangry, you know. They get hangry with each other. They get hangry. We've all been there. Although I will say this, uh, the quote that I like from Walford is that um, uh, he said, quote, I don't like some of them, but we were a hell of a team. That was the nature of the factionalism. Yeah. But despite that, we ran the damn thing and we cooperated totally, end quote. So it's like, even when they didn't like each other, they still kept up with doing the experimentations. And, yeah. you know, it wasn't one of those things where then, you know, one night one side just covered themselves in red paint and took up stones and knives and went after the other side. They were at least civil about things. Right. And... The memoirs that I read mentioned that as well. Um, even though they like absolutely hated each other and weren't speaking in some cases, they were yep. still able to work together. Like they, not the work didn't yeah. suffer because they all hated each other. I'm yeah. sure it would have been more pleasant for them if they hadn't. But you know. Yeah. Anyway, um, the food group also starts eating seeds. Yes. Which they are not supposed to do. Right. Right. Um, and the press gets a hold of that story and John Allen and Margaret Augustine blow up. So they're trying to control the story by dismissing the scientific advisory board and firing a bunch of people. Uh, Around the same time, Ed Bass's project accountants realize there's a mismanagement problem with the funding. So a lot of money, possibly millions, isn't where it should be. Okay. So that's in the last few weeks of the experiment and it kind of limps to a conclusion. And the Biospherians come out after two years and 20 minutes inside. And the press reaction is, you know, mixed. Yeah. <laughs> so the ecologist Rebecca Stewart is quoted in the Times as saying, in short, the Biosphere 2 experiment failed to generate sufficient breathable air, drinkable water, and adequate food for just eight humans, despite an expenditure of $200 million. End quote. And that's kind of where people end up yeah that's kind of all that they all that they take from it is it was a great idea they did some science but they completely failed to develop a good system for oxygen right uh their drinking water was nasty and they weren't getting enough food they weren't getting enough calories like both of those groups were correct they did need more food and they should not have gone outside if they wanted to right if they wanted to really dig into the sealed nature of the experiment. And I will I will say this, though. I will take exception with the people who write off the mission as a failure because... There are so many things that are not failures. Exactly. And, I mean, all science is, when you boil it down, is I'm going to try this thing. Did it work the way I wanted it to? Yes, no. If yes, great. If no, what do I need to do differently next time? And we learn more, like humanity learns more from failure than we do from success. If you just succeed it at the thing that you try the first time, you never try to do it a different way. You're like, oh, this, this way works. Right. And, and 
So learning what didn't work in the biosphere was incredibly important. Right, but also objectively, they had some successes. Absolutely. They were able to grow their own nutritious diet. They yep. were able to develop really good, really efficient compost. Yep. They were able to farm at a scale of efficiency that... That we have never... We have never been able to do. No, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, they kept a lot of plants and animals happy. There you go. Hey, something to be said for that. Something to be said for that. So after two years and 20 minutes, the first experiment ends. Right. But that's and not John, the end of the story. Right. And they design a smaller 10-month project intended to demonstrate 100% food sustainability. Because I think that's where people really got caught up when they yeah, yeah. are talking about this experiment. They're like, well, they were supposed to generate enough food to feed themselves for two years. Had just come from Goldman Sachs. Uh, informed his own boutique investment company called Bannon and Company. And Directly involved before. So they're kind of like good cop, bad cop. Fair enough. Uh, Chris hands out money and gives everyone checks, and Steve Bannon does not do that. Okay. So when management changes, like when Ed decides to put Steve in charge instead of Chris, there's an instant kind of like revulsion and concern for the crew windows, and they open all the airlocks. Yes. So in order to understand this, you know, this is an act of sabotage, which effectively ruins the sealed nature of the experiment. Yep. But I think you have to like go back to the synergist days and look at what they were really trying to do with the biome research and the counterculture theater. Yeah. They believed wholeheartedly and sincerely in the interconnectedness of humans and the environment and these two crew members in particular were profoundly disturbed by what they saw as bankers taking over a science project. Yeah. So they saw it as like... Their duty. Yeah. It was their responsibility to save these people. And they... Uh, well, symbolically. They because did the it. doors aren't locked. The crew right. can walk out at any right. time. Right, 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 right. The response from this is pretty awesome, by the way. <laughs> right. A bunch of police officers show up, mm -hmm. uh, yes, change, change the locks in the offices, uh, change out the access codes to the telephones, mm -hmm. and they arrest the two Biospherians who, who did this. Oh, yeah. And then four days later, Margaret Agostino gets suspended. And remember, her husband is one of the Biospherians in the second experiment, uh, he leaves the biosphere for a family emergency. <laughs> yes, he does. And he gets replaced by another guy who was, I guess, supposed to be the captain of the first mission, but had been one of those people that Alan had yep. gotten rid of. Yep. So already you've got people out, people in, broken windows that need to be fixed. The sealed nature of this thing is not sealed. And then uh, Space Biosphere Ventures is dissolved right well margaret augustino is actually accused of mishandling funds yes she turns around and sues ed bass yep uh her husband the biospherian divorces her yeah. steve bannon takes control over everything yep. related to the biosphere including their equipment and data and the biosphere to campus so for a brief shining moment he owns the biosphere, biosphere effectively yeah everybody's suing everybody yep uh, a memoir written inside the Biosphere 2 by two of the crew is recalled and taken out of print. Nobody gets hurt, but there's a lot of, like, bad vibes. Nobody bad vibes like a theater person. No. 
It's true. It takes five years to settle everything in court. And at the yeah. end, Ed Bass owns Biosphere 2. Right. Now, he at one point had to uh, deal with the, the lawsuit filed against... Sisters? Sure. This is the core of the onion, okay. right? This is the thing that really makes me weep on the inside. Okay. Here it is. So during this time, during the five years that everyone's in court... All that raw data, the data that was never analyzed or used in published research. Yep. So everything they were collecting for two years is lost. Yeah. Because the project was privately funded, all the data was considered proprietary and there was no plan in place for long-term storage or archiving. So it was just like whisked away and locked up at some point. And with a few exceptions, most of it has just disappeared. Jeez. So this includes, quote... The full data from the food crops and biomes, which developed for four years under conditions of elevated CO2, which should be extremely interesting for its insights into community-level responses, biodiversity changes, and ecological self-organization. The detailed evolution of the biomes correlated with the environmental sensor data is unprecedented for all kinds of ecological investigations. Most climate change studies are conducted on one or a few plants. Yeah. So you can really see how this is incredibly valuable data that we could really use right now. Right, yes. And it's gone. So they had calibrated models describing system metabolism, hydrological balancing, uh, how to balance heat and humidity in a closed environment, how to grow your own rainforest, mm -hmm. and the data is gone there were some publishings there were some uh, it was a special journey of ecological engineering the journal um was <laughs> published in 1999 mm -hmm. uh and it was called biosphere 2 research past and present it's got like an assemblage of collected papers and findings from biosphere 2 but the original data is gone so, this is the raw data, the data that has exactly. not been interpreted or analyzed. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the it's stuff irreplaceable. Where you find out. Yeah, exactly. It's irreplaceable. Because this experiment is never going to be recreated. Well, it was too expensive and too ridiculous. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> I mean, well, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. After Biosphere basically implodes in the way that it did, mm -hmm. it's not like the buildings are gone. Can we talk about no. what's, what's going on with the Biosphere but 2 But they're not the same. I feel, so, like, I feel like there's hope here. I feel like I want to I wanna, I wanna advocate on the side of hope for this one. Okay. The first thing that happens after Biosphere 2 closes down is that Ed Bass or Steve Bannon makes a deal with Columbia University. Yes. So the first thing they do is open a few windows and install some vents, right? It's no longer a closed system. Right. They're using it as a tool to study global warming and the acidification of ocean systems. Yep. They also, because Volvo, the car company, is sponsoring science scholarships yeah. at a car showroom inside the Biosphere 2. Yay. Yay. So in 2007, the project is sold to a development company that wants to use it as a resort and condominium development yep. called, I kid you not, Biosphere Estates. Yep. Would you live there? I would nope. totally live there. <laughs> and fortunately, before that can happen... We had the recession. Thank goodness. Right. This is probably the only good thing to come out of 2008. And in 2011, the University of Arizona became the owner. So, so most of those biomes are intact. Yeah. 
And and you know who gave them a big uh, donation to support the Biosphere 2? Ooh, was it Volvo? Ed Bass. <laughs> yeah, he did. He still wants those patents. He dropped he dropped 30 million <laughs> to help keep it keep it running as a uh, as a place where you can run experiments and there are a lot of experiments currently going on there. The two most I guess prominent ones Mm-hmm. Uh, are the lunar greenhouse, which is a Very cool. really cool experiment. It's it's bioregenerative life support system, so you can recycle and purify water through plant transpiration, and it's mm-hmm. entirely enclosed and it's super cool. Um, and the other one is the landscape evolution observatory, which is using just an absurd amount of sensors to mm-hmm. monitor millions of pounds of volcanic rock. To see how volcanic rock, which is not alive, develops into rich soil that supports microbial and vascular plant life. Spooky. That is really cool. Isn't <laughs> like, that cool? And they're they're doing they're doing um you know they're doing farming they're doing all sorts of little scientific experiments in there. Mm-hmm. It's not sitting unused. It's not privately owned. It's. It's not condominiums. Can it's you imagine condom- the HOA they I would can, come up with? Yes, I can, and it's horrifying. <laughs> you may not paint your windows. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. there's some there's some hope that at least some good science can come out of it. Of course. And now, like, the scientific research that's going on now is taken a lot more seriously now that there's sure, a university it's being affiliation. Run by a university. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And they have all that peer review and yep. all those grants. So. Uh, but tourists are also welcome, as you mentioned. Yes. You can take an on-site tour. They're open now after COVID. Or you could take a virtual tour on YouTube. I did the virtual tour. That's cool. It wasn't what I expected. No, it's not. It's it's very cramped. Weird. Yes. Yeah. It's very cramped. <laughs> I don't know that I would want to live in there for two years and 20 minutes. I could do uh, it they if also I didn't have... have to share it with other people. Yeah, it's the other people. <laughs> I could do it by myself, probably. Right. Uh, they also have a podcast. They have an interactive app and they have a very pretty Instagram account, which is at Biosphere 2. And you can buy Biosphere merch through the University of Arizona bookstore. Okay. I had to talk myself out of getting a Biosphere 2 t-shirt. Yeah. Earth Day is every day. In Biosphere 2. Anyway. Uh, finally, the Synergists are still around and they still make a living hosting corporate retreats in their International Incubator for Creativity and Ecology. Uh, 90% of the raw data from an unrepeatable science experiment lost forever. Yep. That is Biosphere the weird, sad mix of Biosphere <laughs> 2. <laughs> Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to shame us publicly, why not use our Instagram at relative.disasters. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion. And please join us next week for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My brother has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Greg? All right. Well, we're staying in the mostly modern period for the next time. Yay! And we're going to be talking about something that is beloved by many. That's right. 
I'm going after Shark Week next episode. Oh boy, that sounds like a very scary disaster. <laughs> it's a disappointing disaster. This is like, you know, you put on your best dad voice and you know I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Relative disappointments next week. That sounds amazing. Augustino's husband yep. are sealed inside the biosphere too. Yep. So about four weeks later, the financial <laughs> problems come to a head. Yeah. So Biosphere 2 is a for-profit project. It was projected to cost $30 million. Instead, it cost Ed Bass somewhere between $150 and $200 million. Right. And although the hot dog cart and the ticket sales <laughs> and the six gift shops are doing great, the project is in the red and has been since construction started. Sure. Now, Ed Bass is not a stupid person. He was not expecting to make his millions back with hot dogs. Right. What he was hoping for was to get some nice aerospace technology 